you've hit play on the screen companion, an eclectic mix of film and TV recommendations. Hey, I'm saved! Today we're talking about 90s cartoons. What a beautiful time in television history. Myself and my guest, Laura, we were both kids of the 90s. We had plenty of material. Nickelodeon, (laughs) the WB, Fox Kids, ABC, Disney, all that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the Ren and Stimpy show from 1991, Hey Arnold, that premiered in 96, Johnny Bravo, 97, and Recess, also from 97. To kick things off, let's talk about Johnny Bravo, which revolves around the eponymous Lunkhead, (laughs) a mix of Elvis and a blonde-haired surfer dude. I knew he was Elvis-inspired from watching him before, but it was just so much more obvious now as an adult than it was back then as a kid. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Johnny Bravo is so retro, but it wasn't until within the last few months that I'd even watched anything Elvis-related. I think I see a little bit of James Dean in there, too. Did you ever watch Johnny Bravo way back when? It sounds like you have. I did, because he was on Cartoon Network, I think. Yeah. So that was a block that I would always watch after school. It didn't really have a story, right? So it was just little cartoons here and there where you could just watch them out of order. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I'm a little familiar with Johnny Bravo. Some episodes more than others. This one I didn't remember. So it was nice watching it, having no background of what the story was going to be. In The Sensitive Male, the comes-on-too-strong Johnny gets dating tips from Jack Sheldon, who also voiced the Bill on Capitol Hill and Schoolhouse Rock. I don't think the guy that shows up in the episode, I don't think he has a proper name, so I'm just going to call him Jack Sheldon. And he's got a very distinctive voice. I think he was even a musician, which makes sense because he did singing in Schoolhouse Rock and he sang in this episode too. Looking at it now, do you think a sixth grader would find it appealing or is it closer to adult fare? I think it depends what sixth grader you're talking to. Because while some are sheltered, Little kids, I find that even starting in fourth grade, they start to actually have this kind of humor. (laughs) And what do you think is at the heart of Johnny Bravo's humor? From my perspective, it's just him not understanding no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whatever age you are, I think the overly confident loser is a comedic mainstay. Mm-hmm. Other characters, you got Pinky in the Brain, Peppa Le Pew. It's just always funny to see these characters continually fail. And I think Kid Me could tap into that simplicity. Because like we mentioned, neither of us really understood the old-time references it was making. So all we had was Johnny constantly falling on his face. Mm-hmm. This segment discusses males relating to females. Somewhat in a dating sense, but you could also argue in general terms. Does it feel like it's just a premise to hang the events of the episode on, or do you think there's a worthwhile moral by the end of it? Uh, Not having a clear memory of what all the Johnny 
Bravo episodes where it just my vague memory is that this always happened in every episode where he tried and tried, always failed, and never really learned his lesson. And it seemed like this episode was in line with that. But I never found it offensive. I thought I was going to rewatch this and find it more offensive than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any favorite moments or lines? Just something that always caught me when watching Johnny Bravo, even like something now was just a whole baby. (laughs) (laughs) If I couldn't remember anything else from Johnny Bravo, I could depend on him making those sound effects. And all the kung fu snaps as he poses. Uh Uh-huh. I think that's what I always have found endearing about Johnny Bravo is the slicking the hair back. The glasses, the little like eyebrow twitch, and then always the catchphrases that came along with each episode. Oh, mama. Hey there, cutie pants. Am I as studly as the statue of David or what? Do you honestly think women are attracted to that kind of macho attitude? I honestly do, sugar beets. Hmm. Pardon me, miss. Gosh, I'm really not very good at this sort of thing. I'm rather bashful by nature, actually. Would you go out with me? Aren't you sweet? Here's my phone number. Wait a sec. That ain't possible. How'd you do that, mister? Do what? Get that little chick's phone number. Well, sir, women like a man with depth. When I speak to a girl, I always express my true feelings in a sensitive way. What? Beg your pardon? What was that word? Sensitive. Now listen, mister, I ain't got no time for you to be talking Greek. And he comes off as the opposite of this episode title, as an insensitive male. But you accept it because... It doesn't seem to come from a place of malice. He's just totally clueless about how to interact with people, women especially. Mm -hmm. Specifically in what we saw, there was an exchange between Jack Sheldon and Johnny Bravo where Jack says, you're too masculine. And Johnny Bravo says, isn't that like being too ethical? (laughs) (laughs) There are moments sprinkled throughout all the shows we watched that surprised me that they would include some of this commentary and humor that I don't think child me would have laughed at necessarily. Moving on to Hey Arnold. Yes. Laura, could you tell us a little bit about the show and specifically Helga's parrot? Hey Arnold, I don't think they ever make it clear if it's in Philadelphia and New York. I got a very New York buy from it when I was watching it growing up. But it's about this football-shaped boy, Arnold, who is an orphan. Presumably, he lives with his grandparents. And just the things that he gets into with his friends from school. In this episode, Helga, who has an obsession, to say the least, with Arnold. And so in Helga's parrot, her dad got a parrot to try to promote his beeper business, which is very 90s. (laughs) Yeah, and so she has a dream and says a poem and the parrot memorizes the poem and so she tries throughout the episode to stop it from saying the poem and revealing that she is in love with Arnold my sultry pretty why must I hold you only whilst I dream will I be forever enslaved by your spell why must I worship you and never ever tell And they're supposed to be, what, in late elementary school? Yes, they are, I believe, third grade? Third, fourth grade? Oh. 
Oh, I was thinking more fifth, maybe sixth grade. No, there's an episode where they see the sixth graders and they are very young comparatively. Oh. Do you think part of the premise that Helga would have written like a three stanza poem about Arnold? Were little girls authoring stuff like that back then? No. (laughs) (laughs) They would write their names, I think, with the last name of the boy or girl or whatever that they like. I think that's what I remember doing. But Helga, (laughs) if you ever see more than just this episode, has monuments built to Arnold. I think in this episode, it might have been a fruit monument. In other episodes, she has a monument of gum, like sculpture statues in the shape of his football head. Oh, I think I remember the gum. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What attracted you to this show as a kid? I think the opposite of some of the other shows we watch, like Ren and Stimpy and Johnny Bravo, didn't have a story. Hey Arnold did have a story, and you went deeper into the characters' lives, figured out more as to what made them tick. And so the fact that each episode, even though it could be standalone, added to the story overall, made me want to keep watching. And this episode being another example of Helga's obsession with Arnold, do they end up dating at any point? Yes. It's implied in the jungle movie that they do. Why would Arnold date her? Because she's mean, usually. Um, There is this one episode where Helga has to go see a therapist. And so you learn a little bit more about her backstory. I don't know how evident it was to you in this episode, but her dad is very lacking in any kind of sympathy towards her. Her mom is an alcoholic, and the star of the house is actually her older sister, Olga. And so as a little kid, she never got any love from anyone in the house. And the first one that ever showed her any affection was Arnold. But when she was in kindergarten, she realized that if she showed that she liked Arnold at all, that she would be made fun of. So she started from a very young age to be mean to Arnold to hide her feelings. But throughout the show, she would do things for Arnold and go to extreme lengths to make him happy, even if he didn't know it was due to her. I always found Helga more interesting than Arnold. Yeah. And from what you just described, that's a ton of backstory and complexity to her as a character on a kid's show. How would you compare her to other Mean Girl characters and like you've intimated the different layers that she has? I think overall, from all the animated shows I watched in the 90s, she is the most complex character. Even Rhesus with Ashley Spinelli, like, do have their attitudes, clearly. But you never get to fully know them like you do with this show. So I think, again, this is why Arnold stood out to me when I was young and why I kept watching it, even as an adult. Was there any familiarity that you had with Helga? Not necessarily. I think I just, I found her ridiculous, (laughs) to put it kindly. Yeah, she comes off very ridiculous, but grounded. It's weird. Even though she was very quiet about her true feelings in general, she was emotionally mature. And I think that's how I was in elementary school, where I was very quiet growing up. 
because I was an English language learner. I didn't really speak a lot of English until third, fourth grade. So I listened a lot, <laughs> and people sometimes misunderstood that. I understood everything, obviously, and I just had all these things I wanted to say and share, but I was shy about it. So I think that's what connected me to Helga in that sense. What do you think defines the humor of Hey Arnold? So many jokes flew over my head, and I was only rewatching it later that I got all of them, or that I saw more inappropriate animation than I did when I was a kid. Helga comes off pretty creepy in this episode. <laughs> oh, the, you make my girlhood tremble. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she hides behind his couch. And watches him undress. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Do you have a favorite gag or line from this? My favorite moment was something that she often has done. The scene where she was just stuck behind the couch and she had no way of getting out. So she kicked her way down into the kitchen of Arnold's house. That happens a lot where his grandparents witness how obsessive she is. But just take it like, oh, this crazy thing happened again. And the football head, our grandson, doesn't realize how much she loves him. But they kind of take it like, okay, it's another crazy thing that happened. Whatever. <laughs> they don't do anything about it. I always found that the show, since it follows mostly normal situations, they almost come off as live-action sitcom conventions, almost like this could have been shot with real people, because I really got a Full House vibes from this plot. Mm -hmm. Compared to the other shows we're talking about, it's probably the safest one, but that ending gave me, and I want to use a new word today, it gave me frisson. I always thought of Hey Arnold as being pretty safe, but then they showed one animal swallowing another whole, and that was like, whoa, I, I can't believe they actually went that far. If that was Ren and Stimpy, it would be a day in the office, but in Hey Arnold, it's more impactful because their world is closer to reality, and when the teacher in that scene faints, <laughs> it's like, wow, there's a real effect to what just happened. It's not just played slapsticky. And yet you never see the monitor lizard again. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Because just with its minor appearance here, I was digging that lizard. I liked the personality they gave its facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Let's take a moment to thank TSC fans from around the world. Tell us which of our recommendations you liked and who your favorite guests are via the screen companion at gmail.com. Further support the host by purchasing a digital or print copy of his sci-fi novel, Traversal, The Weight of Worlds, available on Amazon. Moving on to a general discussion about cartoons. So besides Hey Arnold, were there any others that you followed religiously as a kid? Most things with a story... I would say I was a very Nickelodeon and ABC Fox 11 type of kid. The Wild Thornberries, The Weekenders. I wouldn't count anime type of shows as 90s necessarily, but we watched a lot of that growing up. The Pokemon phenomenon. Yeah, that was late 90s. Yeah, late 90s. Would you say your favorite time to watch was in the mornings before school or during the weekends? Or after school. I think you mentioned after school, right? 
Mm-hmm. Our religious times for watching cartoons was Saturday morning because that's when the new episodes would come out and then after school. Oh, what a time. Looking forward to that stuff. And then sometimes I'd get frustrated because it would be a rerun. And then I believe they would slap a label in the lower corner that would actually say new. So that way you'd know it wasn't a rerun. Now, for the sake of comparison, because I didn't want to sound like an old guy who just complains about newer generations and, oh, cartoons now, they don't know what they're doing. So for the heck of it, I watched The Cuphead Show, which is based on the video game property, an episode called Roll the Dice. And I thought it was good, but it's a throwback to 30s animation, making it hard to judge as contemporary kids programming. Because it was an homage to the golden age of animation, I felt it was a complete retread that didn't justify its own existence. And then I thought, well, what's actually been new in cartoons? And the most recent thing I could think of is the whole tournament format with Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! But that was over 20 years ago. So Laura, I'm wondering, have you noticed anything that feels like a fresh trend in cartoons in the last decade? Um, the only thing I can notice relates to PBS, because that's <laughs> that's what I've been um, watching because of my son. The PBS cartoons now, definitely, while they're educational, are a little bit more careful as to how they are inclusive, which I don't remember so much from the 90s. They are very careful and talking about actual issues, whereas in the 90s, the only show that I remember ever doing that was Captain Planet. Careful how? So one of the shows that we actually love to watch a year ago was called Molly of the Nolly. I think it's still on. It's won quite a few awards on PBS, and it's about this girl from Alaska, and she's indigenous to Alaska. So in one of the episodes, they talk about racism and how tourists, whenever they come to Alaska don't necessarily respect the Inuits or the culture there. And so they show research that they can do to combat racism. They talked on that show about environmental issues, such as the ice caps and glaciers receding and the effect that it has on the local economy. One of our other favorite shows, The Wild Kratts, which is actually pretty cute, <laughs> talks about people hunting endangered animals, using them for fashion, consuming them in kid-friendly ways, but they do have those conversations that, again, I don't remember in the 90s being a big thing. In the 90s, I felt like a lot of cartoons were just more focused on fun. And a lot of the kids' shows that I've seen now are educational, but fun. PBS has always been pretty educational. Weren't they the ones that would air Magic School Bus? I guess so. It's just, I think, a little bit different. Whereas before it was just PBS, and now a lot of the cartoons that I've seen come up that are really popular have that sort of tone. Where it'd be number blocks from Netflix or story bots from Netflix. I'm thinking Disney Plus as well has a few shows like Bluey. They talk about real issues, but in a fun, imaginative way to capture kids' attention. Sesame Street is still on, isn't it? Yeah. Have you seen any of those episodes lately? 
No, because Fernie's not into them. <laughs> <laughs> I do know, like, they have new characters and they have talked about things, but I think the point I'm trying to make is more that whereas before you could name what shows are definitely educational and fun, and there are some that stood out from each main channel or network, now it seems like almost everything that's being made has to have some of that included in there. So do you think the proliferation of media, its availability, parenting trends, do you think those things have made kids sitting down for cartoons on a Saturday outdated at all? Yeah, I do. And I miss it. That's the one thing you said, like, that's something I have to look forward to. I don't think I'm going to have that because right now what I see the trend as being is that unless you have channels that you watch like PBS on the weekends or during the weekdays, mostly everything else is available on a streaming network and they release those episodes instantaneously, like all the seasons, and then you can binge watch it. And so there's not that childhood experience that you and I both had as kids where we had to look forward to a new episode every week or, you know, get the serial out as we're watching cartoons and the parents are somewhere else because that's their moment of relief. <laughs> Those anchor points in family life, like sitting around the kitchen table, having dinner. Do you envision anything related to cartoons where you might want to create your own environment of, hey kids, this particular day, this particular show, we'll watch this together. I want that to happen, and I'm hoping it's not true what <laughs> I've heard other parents say or what I've seen in the classroom sometimes where as soon as the parent takes interest or as soon as the teacher says it's cool, I want to watch this too, the kids lose interest because some of their shows are really great. I don't recall thinking that way as a kid. My dad, I talked to him about doing this episode with you, and he mentioned... He would actually sit down with me and watch Ren and Stimpy sometimes. And those are beautiful moments. Those are bonding moments. And now it seems like kids have access to phones at such an early age and other portable devices. It's like everybody's in their own little world. Moving on to recess. Oh, such a gem. Follows a group of fourth grade friends as they deal with the superstitions, philosophies, and hierarchies that come with elementary school life. In the segment First Name Ashley, tough girl Spinelli is forced to join a club of snobs when the secret of her first name gets out. I didn't follow the show as closely as some others, but I would park it on ABC if it was on and my regular shows were reruns. What do you think of the school depicted in the show? Unrealistic? I don't understand it. It's such an exaggeration <laughs> of what actually happens on the playground. It's from a kid's perspective, don't you think? A kid's fantasy of what school is like? An exaggerated one. There are some things that were depicted in recess now that I understand where the basis of reality was, but I also see how far of a deviation they went from that reality. Do you have a favorite moment from this episode? The reaction that the kids had when they found out about Spinelli and her real name. Ashley, Ashley, Ashley! Why did my name have to be Ashley? It's just a name. Ashley, Ashley, Ashley! 
simply isn't just a name, it's a curse. Well, perhaps that you hate it so much, you should have it changed. I can't do that. I was named after my great aunt Ashley, the first woman to win the Iditarod. Besides, it's not that I hate the name Ashley, it's just that... Well, for as long as I can remember, every other girl named Ashley's always been one of them. Snotty Prissy and a member of their stupid Snotty Prissy club. They didn't care. Her friends didn't care. She cared. And the Ashley's cared. I definitely like the ending. It's kind of strange that they use the rules of the playground to free Ashley Spinelli from the club that she's forced to be in. I can remember being a kid and having some arbitrary rules that you make up with your friends. So it aligns. It's just, it's more complicated in this show. I just wanted to know what the rules of the playground were the entire time I watched it. Because every single episode, they refer to it in the Constitution. And I'm like, I want to see the rules of my playground. They must have some website out there that's documented all the times they talk about articles of the Constitution of the Playground. If you take it from all the separate episodes and put them together, you'd have a pretty thick document. My favorite part was when Spinelli's worrying about the Ashleys turning her into a girly girl, Mikey the big kid says, Would not a Spinelli known by any other name punch as hard? (laughs) Threw me for a loop, like, whoa, 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 you're throwing Shakespeare at me? Definitely, I didn't get that as a kid. He was always a Shakespearean one. Yeah. I appreciate that they put that stuff in these shows. So this one does have a lot of intricate politics going on. We got the Constitution. The king of the playground, who actually has subjects, a crown, sits on a throne. He was absent from this episode. You have the face-painted tribal kindergartners. <laughs> You have the club of the Ashleys. It struck me as being world-building on the level of, like, Lord of the Rings. Finally, our last show of the evening, The Ren and Stimpy Show, (laughs) which features the titular chihuahua and cat duo getting into a wide range of hijinks from selling rubber nipples to joining the army. However, in the short that we watched, Powdered Toast Man, it doesn't focus on either of them. No. Instead, it's a superhero send-up focused on Powdered Toast Man, a dude with two slices of bread for a head who uses excessive means to quote-unquote save various folks in distress. Laura, I hope you won't take offense when I say that I never thought of you as a Ren and Stimpy fan. What was your relationship to it back when it was initially on, and how does it strike you now? Um, I think when I was little... I don't know what else was airing at the time, but I just never understood Ren and Stimpy fully. And so I would go towards the other cartoons that I did understood. And there's only one other episode from Ren and Stimpy that I remember. I don't know how faithful you were to Ren and Stimpy, but I think Stimpy, he had a big butt. (laughs) And Ren wanted muscle, so he got some of the fat. I guess, from Stimpy's butt, and so he was muscular. (laughs) Yeah, you're remembering correctly. (laughs) That's the only other episode. (laughs) So that's what I was expecting when I was going into Powdered Toast Man. Like, okay, maybe it's something similar, but they didn't show up until the end. And when they did, I'm like, what is happening in the show? (laughs) And I think that's still my thought about watching Ren and Stimpy, like then and now. Like, what is happening in the show? It's 
it takes a particular sense of humor to get into because the animation style is so in your face and so exaggerated. I think if you're not in on the joke, if you're not digging it, if you're a little kid trying to watch it, it might actually come off as horrific. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, what you're referencing with the peck implants, I believe there are some shots in that episode where you see the fat get removed from Stimpy's butt, and you see it just getting plopped into an incision on Ren's chest. And it's very icky. If you're not laughing at it, you're probably going, ew, this is gross, and then change the channel. (laughs) (laughs) That's a similar feeling I had in this episode when we finally see Ren and Stimpy and they're eating their breakfast and they burn the toast and he scraped it off. And I think they were thinking like, oh, this is still gross. And that they want Powdered Toastman to fart on it to make it taste better? I didn't understand that part. <laughs> Powdered Toastman has showed up before this episode. This is like his real introduction. There was some little mini commercials in previous episodes about powdered toast, which the way it's depicted on the show, I thought maybe it was a Canadian thing because the creator is Canadian. No, there's no such thing as powdered toast, at least the way it's shown in this. So they took that commercial segment of just Ren and Stimpy eating powdered toast, and then the mascot shows up. And yes, they take a bite of it, and something's wrong. You can tell that they're not enjoying it. Powdered toast man shows up, and he goes, I'm sorry, guys, I forgot. And yes, he does fart on the toast, and that is what makes it delicious. And I was listening to the commentary for that, and I guess the writer said that some people actually didn't get the joke. It's like, how do you not get the joke? It's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) What I really love from this episode, and I remember it now and forever, and my dad remembered it, is when PTM has just saved a kidnapped Pope, and on the return trip has him flying on the hero's back. And the turbulence might cause the Pope to fall off. So PTM says, Quick man, cling tenaciously to my buttocks! To which the Pope asks, Both of them? I remember laughing as a kid. I hadn't seen the episode in quite a while. It had me laughing again. And I asked my dad, like, What did you think about letting your son watch this stuff? It premiered in the early 90s, and it reran all the time, but I don't think I really started watching it when I was six years old in 94 or 5. And my dad said, well, you, you liked it. Even back then, you had that sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, how would you summarize your viewing experience of today's shows? Was it more sweet nostalgia or possibly something more sobering? I think for half of it, sweet nostalgia, and then the other half, uh... Amusement? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was thinking, like, of the other shows that you were thinking of doing for this podcast, like Rocco's Modern Life. I just kept thinking about lines that, as a kid, went over my head. And then thinking about it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so gross. There were a lot of weird shows back then. Angry Beavers wasn't quite as weird as Ren and Stimpy, but I remember that having some weird moments. Cat dog. Cat dog, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you look at the live action stuff, the comedy at the time, Mike Myers, Jim Carrey, they were doing a lot of lowbrow jokes. 
And I don't know what it is about that decade that just had a lot of fart jokes. Hey, some still do. I mean, SpongeBob SquarePants, I cannot stand. <laughs> it kind of makes me feel good. I don't feel quite like a dinosaur to know that kids still watch something that started back in the 90s. There aren't too many, but there are some. There's that. South Park is still on, and I think that premiered in 96 or 97. Some of this animated stuff just won't die. Well, to round out the show, I'd like to do TLDL, Too Long, Didn't Listen. I'm going to ask you some rapid-fire questions, and I'm hoping for nice short answers. Okay. Which segment do you think had the best message for kids? Recess. You can't let one thing define you. Which show has aged the worst? Uh, <laughs> Red and Stimpy. <laughs> what do you think was the best trait of 90s cartoons? The quality of the animation, the subversive humor, the cast of characters, or the creativity of the settings? The subversive humor. I say this as someone who believes in a lot of the things that are going on right now, but you just can't get away with things now, and people are too careful. And part of the love that I had for 90s cartoons is that you could say things and get away with stuff. It was just funny. I don't think that a lot of the things that were written in cartoons back then came from a place of malice. I think rewatching these cartoons made me see and believe in that a little bit more, that, you know what, they were just ridiculous cartoons sometimes, but some had a nice message, despite the jokes that were in there. <laughs> and not to put a value judgment on it, but it seems like from what I've seen in interviews with creators of the 90s of these kids shows, they definitely weren't coming at it from an educational place the way, like you were saying, a lot of stuff now seems to deal with. To them, it was just, what do we do to be funny? And a lot of these guys were in their 20s. On the whole, if they're going to have subversive material, it works well when they don't draw too much attention to it. So if you're a kid, it can come off very innocently because you're only seeing some slapsticky thing that's happening on screen. Like at one point in Powdered Toast Man, they actually burned the Constitution of the United States as kindling. <laughs> I did not notice that at all as a kid. I did not understand any of the politics they're commenting on in that goofy show. But it's there if you want it. But if you don't want it, if you don't get it, then it just go right over your head. And I think that's great because I wonder some of the stuff now that tries to be more impactful, will kids in 20 years from now care to come back to the material the same way that we do with 90s stuff because there is more of a complexity to it? What show do you think would appeal the most to elementary school-aged kids now? Recess. <laughs> it's just even more now, some of the things... Kindergartners have always had this reputation of being wild and uncontrollable because it's their first year in school. But even more so now, after the pandemic, they are more crazy <laughs> and more uncontrollable than they were in past years. So I think some characteristics from certain grade levels, even how kids get along with each other, it's just so much heightened than it was that I think recess would definitely resonate with kids 
um, at my school, kids were very protected from the pandemic and didn't have a lot of social interactions. So they're barely having it now that things have returned to a more normal state. They're discovering it for the first time on the playground, how to get along with each other and how to stay together and not go off to their different areas. And they want to explore very much like <laughs> kindergartners and recess. Is there a lot of face painting like on recess? Last year, they definitely attacked the mud <laughs> from the rain one time. I remember that they were. Oh, my God. Or this year, oh, we have a lot more rain in California than normal. And so to see all of these kids, kindergartners and other grades swimming almost in this river made puddle that was in the middle of our school. And they're like, it's raining worms and like <laughs> throwing it up in the air. I'm like, I don't remember that being a thing when I was little. On a content appropriate for kids level, which show would a parent have an easier time sitting through with their fourth graders? I think still recess. In terms of parents being entertained, which show do you think has the strongest chance? Either Johnny Bravo or Recess. In four years, which of these shows do you think your oldest boy would gravitate toward the most? Recess. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about that question, my dad said, going back to Ren and Stimpy, that he could see my humor was formulating even back then. Even with your son being as young as he is, do you kind of see certain aspects of his personality are already kind of really developing? I mean, his humor is weird. <laughs> weird like Max is weird? No, but he'll say things like, Mom, my name is not Fernando. My name is Rova Fernando. Ha 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 ha. And he'll add his own ha 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 ha. <laughs> that wasn't really funny, but okay. <laughs> Are there any final words you have for any of the shows we watched or just kids' animation stuff in general? I think it's underappreciated. A lot of these shows, I wish that they would have a resurgence in terms of the style and the content, and hopefully more people rediscover them. I'm glad at the very least with the streaming services that we have more of these shows are showing up in it, and so a new generation of kids are seeing them for the first time. I'm glad about that. Yeah, and the types of shows back then, there's such a diversity in styles, something we didn't really touch upon that makes me sad to think of newer stuff is the 2D animation and things being handcrafted and how it really gives it a personality that a lot of stuff today doesn't seem to have. That's what makes me more nostalgic about these shows. I know what you're referring to. There's way too much CGI in shows nowadays, and there's some PBS shows that are like that where I just can't get into it. It cheapens, I feel, the look. You can't have good CGI cartoons on... Uh, public, their budget is not there. It just looks a little off. And the shows that are newer, that are to the animation, I love those a little bit better because the animation style and the story both are there. And I remember being a kid and cartoons were a source of sparking my imagination and creativity. So I wonder if you compare the two, 
if kids now are still getting that kind of stimulation from stuff today? I think they are, but depending on what the show is. A lot of kids right now that I've seen in my classroom, they love the 2D animation. The younger ones love Bluey. The title of each episode is like, this episode of Bluey is titled blah, blah, blah. And so when I hear them doing their imaginative play, they sometimes name their play in the same style as the episodes of Bluey. And then same thing with the anime that they watch. It's similar conversations, similar games. So they repeat the style that they're familiar with. <laughs> 